Welcome everybody, you're listening to Sound Advice. My name's Steve Jones and today I'm joined by Jay Gibson, who's a, a director here at Ballard's LLP and our healthcare team, and also Matthew Watson, who heads up the healthcare side of the business as a partner here at Ballard's LLP. But importantly, both are experts in the field of primary care networks, PCNs. In today's podcast, we're going to have a look back over the past five years since PCNs were introduced, some of the big success stories, but also some of the challenges and horror stories. We hope you enjoy. Morning, everybody. Morning, Jay. Morning, Matthew. Morning, Morning. Steve. Morning, Hi, Jay. guys. Thanks for joining me today. So we're going to kick straight into it. So primary care networks, PCNs, we're five years in. Jay, give us a sort of a quick overview where we've been and where we've got to. I think uh, PCNs have come a long way since being set up nearly five years ago. That's overcome a lot of local challenges from discovering how to work collectively together with neighbouring practices through to the global pandemic, which obviously caused a huge challenge for the whole uh, of the NHS. Now, there's around 1,250 PCNs across the country and initially set up to provide a proactive and more integrated healthcare service for really the local area. But the impact each PCN has had varies depending on how well practices have engaged in the process and been able to work together. Can I just sort of butt in here for a minute? Have you got sort of um, what sort of sort of the biggest success stories you've seen from the PCNs working together? The way it's worked out effectively. They've worked most effectively together when they've properly engaged with the process and they've been able to build up this level of trust between the different member practices. And what we've done as an accounting firm is tried to impress upon practices about having a transparency in their records and accounting systems, and really rather than relying upon rather than member practices relying upon an individual practice, actually putting their trust and faith in in an accounting firm such as ourselves. Now, we've been able to set up accounting systems that sits independent away from any member practice and provide transparency in those numbers to all at the same time. You know, even if it's as simple as giving people a login to that system so they can all see what's coming in, what's going out. And having regular catch-ups, making sure that the PCN has a sort of leadership team that drives the process forward. And that's where we come in as well. And we sit alongside that leadership team to be able to sort of guide them along the way and remove any problems before they even start. So say the most important thing that we've come across over the years is transparency and trust. And as long as those two elements are there, then the uh, the network can grow and advance collectively and hit any challenge head on. And there's no no better example than that in the COVID pandemic. Thank you, Jay. I mean, that, that's really quite interesting, isn't it, about trust and transparency? Because, I mean, we have to remember that these guys, even though they all work together within the NHS, they are sort of competitors, competitors with a sort of a small C, I suppose. But, you know, they are, if we had any other sort of type of organisations who we who we act for, like, I don't know, like car dealers or somebody like that, and, and telling them that they needed to group together to act in the common good, they would have trust issues. And I do think it has been quite a success story that groups of individual organisations, the individual practices, etc., have been able to band together and been able to work together in the way that they have done. I think that has done remarkably well. And I think it's, it's worth just sort of highlighting that. Completely agree. I think and these primary care networks were thrown together quite quickly and they were forced to work collectively. And there are a few positives that came out of the global pandemic. But 
but I think one of them has been uh, has been the need for these practices to collectively work to deliver things like the vaccination program. Is it fair to say that not all practices have sort of done so well or been so comfortable with implementing the the PCN model? Yeah, no, that's that is fair. We have seen some practices whereby they've just, as I say, not engaged in the whole process at all. They've not really seen it as they've not really seen the bigger picture, so to speak. I think that it's been very easy over the years for practices to continue doing what they're doing, and we we all know the pressures on GP GP partners, GP practices, and the work pressures, the time pressures. Sometimes it doesn't actually help them engage in a new thing and a new process and trying to take time out of their day and maybe utilize a session or two or even if it's just a session or two a month it's just been very difficult for some people to find that time yeah matthew am i right in saying that the pcn contract's due to expire soon but there hasn't been any any guidance issued by nhs england about when the new contract might entail is that is that right yes you're right it's, it's meant to have finished i think by the end of march this year but there is confusion i think as to what's happened going forward and they're thinking because of the election it would be a, a very short-term fix so i i understand that they're thinking of, of just continuing as they are for the moment and then looking at it once a new government or the services on, on a new term are, are re-elected mm. it, that's pretty disruptive though right for, certainly for practices trying to plan ahead jay what it's a bit of a crystal ball question but what, what do you think are the most likely changes that practices can be can can expect, if any? Well, I think ultimately no one knows at the moment. As, as Matthew said, we've only got two months left of this current contract, and I would have really anticipated some direction and clarity from the NHS before now. As you said, it's causing huge amounts of problems now as PCNs look to budget towards twenty four twenty five, and and really what they're having to do is operate on the assumption that funding will continue. But say ultimately, we just don't know. I think the most likely scenario at this point is that funding has to continue. I think if the NHS were to pull some funding streams now, given only two months, then there'd be all sorts of problems. Be that the the funding continues in the same guise as it currently does with with various streams like IIF and enhanced access, core income and DIF, etc. Or perhaps we might see the funding rolled up into one payment, for example, or two payments a month. One thing that does really, really concern me, and I mentioned it because it's such a big item, is the, the additional roles scheme. One, it's mm. been, been fantastic and such a success story for all PCNs who've properly engaged with it. The employment of various different roles across the network to help support the support all the practices has um, has obviously come with its own funding challenges. Practices at the moment are having to pay out the relevant staff employed in those roles and then reclaim the funds from the NHS. Usually if, if, if the claim's going on time, then it's usually within, say, two or three weeks that funding comes back. But what we've seen is as that scheme has developed over five years, those roles have increased, then the, work, the level of working capital required to fund those roles is huge. Now, if and only if the funding is perhaps delayed in April as the contract ceases and, and the new funding kicks in, if there is delays in that funding, then you might see a huge pressures on the member practices to provide additional working capital to the PCN to make sure that those roles are properly funded and the people are paid. So, Jay, with the PCNs able to take on the additional roles, what are some of the potential issues that practices should 
keep in mind, do you think, around the workflow and financial planning going forward? I think, as I mentioned before, the, the working capital requirements for this scheme are huge. Some PCNs are set up with different structures. One, you might find that the payroll is operated by perhaps a federation or, or even a, a member practice. But as you can imagine, the if it's on a member practice, for example, you and they're employing 10, 20, 30 individuals, you can just you can really see that the amount of money required to pay these individuals on a on a monthly basis is is huge and it wouldn't take many months of, of any sort of funding delay to cripple a practice. Sorry, Jay, so when you talk about working capital, you mean that this is money that the practices, the members of the PCM would have to leave behind in order to cover the funding for these roles until that money comes into them from the NHS. Yeah, completely. And and you can imagine across a network, funding is always is always tight and always tricky amongst many practices. As I say, it wouldn't take many months of having to pay a huge wage bill before that money dries up. Another thing that PTNs have struggled with at times as well is to find the right right staff for these these roles. Obviously the funding is there available to them, but trying to find enough paramedics or enough care coordinators or enough social prescribers has really been tricky for a number of PCNs. You know, they're, they're not just fighting against other organizations, they're fighting against other elements within the NHS. Paramedics, for example, are key at hospitals, and yet they're trying to try to recruit these roles within the PCNs. But I, Sorry, Jay, one of the advantages there, though, would be that at least those paramedics or those specialists can be spread amongst the practices rather than just be for the sole use of, of one particular practice. Yeah, no, completely. But there is only a finite number of, of skilled yeah. individuals. And when when the NHS is under so much pressure at the moment, it's, I, I think, trying to take, you know, taking them, trying to source them between primary and secondary care. It's um, it's a difficult balancing act. Finally, the, the one big thing is, the other big thing as well, is the operation of the payroll. Now, PCNs have different structures and different setups. Now, some PCNs find that one member practice operates the payroll. Others might outsource the payroll to, to another provider. It's a huge time cost, time burden and cost to whoever's operating that payroll. If it is outsourced, it's a huge cost towards the PCN. And not just from a point of view of operating a payroll, but from the HR side that goes with it as well. As I say, the bigger the workforce, the bigger the HR problems. And just that's quite an interesting point as well, isn't it, Jay? Are, are there any other problems that we should be considering to advise PCNs on as they have to employ more staff? Are there any sort of legal requirements that they need to be aware of about sort of um, employing all these staff? Well, I would say don't be don't be blind to the fact that they are employees, effectively. I think we need to sometimes sit back and realise that a lot of these roles now, a lot of these individuals in the roles have been employed for more than two years. So they've got additional rights. They're entitled to redundancy pay should the scheme come to a close. I think we should be perhaps looking at their contracts of employment. Were those contracts set up? Uh, were they standard contracts? Did we consider actually who is the who is employing these individuals? Sometimes, if if you've got uh, if you've got a member practice operating the payroll, it's the contract with them. And what happens? You know, worst case scenario, the NHS said this additional role scheme ceased thirty first of March. Who's then liable for redundancy pay? Who's liable for what's the notice period of each of those employees? Who's liable for that pay? What about future claims, unfair dismissal, etc.? It's there's a, it's a bit of a minefield, really. I'd probably say 
if you're concerned about any of that, take professional HR advice. Yes. So generally speaking, Jay, in your opinion, PCNs, have they been a success? Question one. And question two, are they the the right way forward for the for the coming years? I think they've been a huge success. I don't think the NHS would have coped as well as it has done with the COVID pandemic, for example, if PCNs weren't around, if they weren't already geared up or along the way to actually working at scale. I think the, the PCNs are, in my opinion, here to stay. And those practices that properly engage and have properly engaged will obviously uh, continue to prosper and grow into the future. It's certainly helped collaborative working together. And I think you're right, Jay, without the PCN as a as a sort of as a body or a mechanism towards that, I don't think they would have been as collaborative as they as they have been over the last few years. Thank you, Jay. It's been really interesting everything you've said today. I suppose going forward, it's it's how can yourself and Ballards help PCNs, I suppose looking at those PCNs which aren't up to sort of aren't functioning as, as best as they could do at the moment and also just how we could encourage greater participation of practices within the PCNs. How could we improve PCN structure, do you think, going forward for practices? Well, I think, I think we need to try. For those practices who haven't engaged, then uh, we need to understand the reasons why. My, my sort of gut feeling would be that lack of trust within the whole network and or limited amounts of time to actually invest themselves so the way we can help and have done elsewhere is to build up an accounting system that is transparent and clear and make sure that each practice can see what funding's coming in what funding's going out and to ensure that they're confident that their efforts are being properly remunerated and and actually the pcn is generating more money and improving healthcare throughout the the network a lot of practices have seen funding over the years come in go out and as long as that money keeps being passed through then they can operate their practices but actually they almost don't believe that that, that any financial benefit to them i think for practices properly engaged they must be fully on board with the whole process and be able to be able to be confident in their in the figures that they're being provided now in order to do that they think they need to collectively discuss what services they're providing how they're spending their money. They need to make these decisions about how to operate the PCN together because without making those decisions together, then practices will almost feel like they're being dictated to. So the way we've sat down sat down with other PCNs is to help them build a budget, help them look backwards at their spending and their income and help them build a budget for the future. Now, by building a budget, they can then decide how they're going to spend this funding for the benefit of the whole area. And by doing that and monitoring that in the months ahead, they will then start seeing the benefits, not just financial, but in the way healthcare is provided across the network. It's making sure that the practices have access to the information rather than just one individual practice taking control of the PCN and only sort of letting other practices have the accounts once a year. I mean, I think the benefit that you've had on other PCNs is that you've been able to give them access and ongoing information at all times, but whenever they wanted it, really. I think that's been your success. Yeah, I think taking away the finance function from a number of PCNs and operating it externally has been has been a marker of to try and improve trust across the network rather than 
one practice dictating to another. You're right. And providing that management information to the collective all at the same time means that practices don't feel like anyone's hiding anything. And it is, it has helped improve trust and to say all about trust and transparency. Great. Right. Thank you, Jay. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Anyone with any queries or comments, feel free to get in contact with Matthew or Jay. The phone number is 01905. 794504 or matthew.watson at ballardsllp.com or j.gibson at Thank you, Jay. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you both. Thanks, guys. My name's Steve Jones. You've been listening to Sound Advice and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.